0: You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.twelfth.co. Good morning, church. It is an exciting time to be with you because today is the Lord's Day. And we worship the Lord every day if we've been bought and washed in the precious blood of Jesus. But on this day, when we gather together, it is special for us who are in Christ because we recognize the truth that we know what we get to live in for a moment, that we do not walk this journey alone, and we are together. And even in the midst of battle, in the midst of spiritual warfare, we can trust and know that the Lord has us, as His and he has secured us not by our ability or our strength or lack thereof of our faith But in the faith and precious work of his holy and glorious son Jesus And that is a good day to gather on It's a good time to be together to celebrate those things And we are talking about difficult things as we're talking about spiritual warfare in the last few weeks as this week will continue to be if you would turning your Bibles to the book or the letter of the Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And uh, as you're getting there, we'll be in chapter 6, and we're going to be focusing on just two verses this week. Next week, we'll close it down. Uh, This week, we're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. Uh, As you get there, I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to begin praying for us, because as we'll see even more of next week, Everything that we endure, all the struggles, all the hardships, every bit of our lives, not just those, but the everyday mundane things, we need to bathe them in prayer because we are completely dependent on our Savior, whether we recognize it or not. So it behooves me to take another moment to pray, to pray for me, to pray for you, and ask you as we go through this word together, you continue in praying for me that I might rightly divide the word of truth in a way that glorifies our Lord and that edifies this body of Christ. So let's pray together God you are Glorious You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory and this morning I will endeavor To speak your word rightly to rightly divide this word of truth by the power and leading of your Holy Spirit But Lord, inevitably, I will fail at some or many or all parts. So I ask you to overwhelm me by your spirit in order to speak the truth rightly, even when I falter and fall or fail, and that you would speak to our hearts the truth that emanates from your word that would change us. For Lord, we know you love us and that you love us too much to leave us as we are, because you created us for much more to be like your son, Jesus. So help us this morning, Father. Give us what we need, lead us, make us sensitive to your spirit and your word, and would you change us so that we might revel in the joy and give you all the glory. And we ask that you do that, Lord, by filling us with the love for you that is the same love your son had when he stepped out of eternity to glorify you on the cross. We ask that you fill us with the love you have for your son that led you to send him there, but also to raise him from the dead to seat Him in the heavenly places at Your right hand, and to send Him back one day to bring us home. Help us by leading us to love Him like You love Him, by overwhelming us, filling us with that love, Your love for Your Son, for Your glory by Your Word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start off in Ephesians six sixteen through 17 Before I get there, let me read this to you. It's a quote from uh, one of my favorite pastors Um, That I read often um, Especially in my prep time to partly make sure that i'm not off mark because he's a very expositional teacher But uh, R. kent hughes makes a statement about spiritual battle and he says this he says uh, Talking about the warfare that it relates to because all the stuff we're talking about in here is pointing back to the Ideas people have understood at that time talking about a helmet and a sword And a shield in a way that they related to the roman armies that surrounded them And here we see that uh, Arkin Hughes makes a a great illustration for us of understanding what it was like to be one of those soldiers Who is putting on and donning that armor knowing what's about to happen? And so here's here's what he says to bring our minds to to quite see it. Well, he says ancient warfare was singularly horrifying the experienced soldier knew that soon he would be facing a phalanx of razor-sharp spears thrusting and jabbing at his vitals, followed by foot to foot, hand to hand, breath to breath, hacking and stabbing and bloody wrestling, set to the terrible music of the howls and moans of battle. Trembling, the soldier begins to dress." The good news for us is that even though that is true even now in the spiritual battles in which we wage, whether we recognize it or not, that we are waging in every day, that we who believe in Christ are secured by the blood of Jesus. So although the enemy is great, and he is great, and although the battle can seem terrifying, our God is greater. And our God is for us, as we sang about earlier. The enemy is mighty, but he has already been defeated by our mighty Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us learn how to, then, prepare for the battle daily, donning the armor, taking up the armor of God. With confidence, not in ourselves, but in our glorious Savior and in His victory on the cross. That is how we are to approach this passage, how we are to approach our daily clothing ourselves. In fact, I want to go back and read Ephesians six thirteen through 17 to get the full picture. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore Two verses again. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That's going to be our first stop this morning. The second will be this. He says about that, first of all, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17 is part two. And take the helmet of salvation. Doesn't say much here. We're going to talk more about it. In part three, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Quickly, let me remind you that it's easy to hear this and to pan away in our minds to something different because we're familiar with these passages, we're familiar with these words, but let me encourage you today not to do so for the sake of your own soul, and for the sake of your own suffering, for the sake of this church, and for the sake of others who need you to be engaged for the sake of their salvation. So stay with me. And let us unpack these things. Look at that verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We're going to unpack this bit by bit. Take up the shield of faith. In fact, that phrase, take up the shield of faith, is actually stating, take up the shield of faith because your shield is that faith. It's not just partly of faith. Your shield is your faith given to you by the Lord. The Roman shield was a shield about four to six feet tall, about three to four feet wide. These are not the shields you would see in some movies about gladiators where they have these small circular shields. The shield mentioned here is this large shield that worked together with a group of shields to defend a battalion or larger, even just a small few people. It was about two levels thick of wood covered in a linen and oftentimes, in addition to that, covered with uh, skins of animals, leather, if you will. It had metal on the bottom, metal on the top, holding it all together so when they would bang it down or have to bang it together, it wouldn't chip away at the wood. They'd oftentimes have some kind of symbol on the front of it to strike fear in the hearts of their enemy. And this shield here was often soaked in water because in war, the archers would be the first ones to throw the blows and they would often put on their arrows, tar and pitch, and they would light it on fire to layer their volleys at them so they could strike great fear, but also damage because if it hit these soldiers, it would catch their clothes on fire and it would create a lot of havoc on the battlefield. So these Roman army men would oftentimes have their shields Been wet and soaked with water making them even heavier before they went into battle because it would save their lives So when the arrow hit it, it literally would extinguish the dart very quickly And this is what paul is bringing to mind when he says in all circumstances Take up the shield of faith With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That means our shield of faith when the battle rages in faith we don't just stand there in our own ability. Can you imagine what would have happened to one of these soldiers if they'd have just dropped their shield and stood up there to take the volley themselves? They don't last. That's the reason for the shield. And like that for us, we don't face the enemy in our own power and our own right. We talked about it, I think, last week. The sons of Skiva tried that. It worked out very poorly for them. It's not our place to do that. Our place is to hide behind the greatness of our God. And that in our faith, in our trust in Him, we can withstand the fiery darts because our hope is not in self, but in the glorious, powerful God who created the universe and who created even those who are now our enemies in the spiritual realm. And so we fight against them by holding up this shield of faith. See, faith lays hold of the promises of God and of the power of God. The promises of God in the face of doubt and depression. Some of you in here have struggled with depression and doubt considerably for yourself, for our church, in struggles physically, emotionally, spiritually. Some of you also have struggled with temptation, and may have ongoing temptations that you struggle with. And I'm here to tell you that the shield of faith is what will ward off the flaming arrows of the enemy who intends to strike and bring you down. He knows he cannot defeat you if you're in Christ totally. But he can take you out of the battle. And so, but when we believe in the promises of God, and when we believe in the, the power of God, and we trust in his power, in his promises, not in our own power or ability, and we stand behind that shield of faith, standing firm, our ground, and whatever God has called us to, we can rest assured that those flaming darts of the enemy will be put out and extinguished and inconsequential. You may be asking yourself, what do you mean by flaming darts? I mentioned a couple, but it bears uh, value for us to talk about it a little further. So let's break that down a little bit. Because he says here in verse 16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So what does he mean by flaming darts? Let me give you a few ideas behind this, just a few. It possibly could mean for you that it's the devil's accusations. And the enemy demons accusations which inflame our consciences with false guilt You're not good enough. Why do you think you can do that? You think you're gonna talk to that person about Jesus when they know all these things about you or who are you? To go head-to-head with this person and tell them that what they're saying is wrong because you love them, right? Who are you? They know all the stuff you've done. Look at all the things you've failed in already. You're just going to fail again. These accusations of the enemy can be withstood if we stand behind the shield of faith that is given by our God, that where our faith is in him and not in our ability. And we can trust in the right truth that God has cleansed us from our failures. And he loves us in spite of our failures and with our failures. And he has declared us right with him. Or maybe it's the unsought thoughts of doubt, the ones you don't seek after but they creep in, or maybe the disobedience that you don't want but you lean into, the temptations, the rebellion, the lust, the malice, the bitterness in our hearts. And the enemy just flings these arrows at us to inflame them and catch them on fire. I don't, I don't know about you, but I get easily angered if I'm not careful. Anybody else struggle with anger in this room? There's a few of us. Anger quickly can take over. It doesn't take but a spark to catch fire, the pitch that envelops our anger in our hearts. You know, there's sometimes I can be around some people that I feel like have done something I don't like towards me or somebody I love, and I don't get angry around them very easily at all. I, I feel the grace of the Lord. I feel peace, the peace of the gospel. The, our feet are supposed to be shod in the readiness of the gospel of peace. And other times I can be around someone that uh, for I don't even know why just anger just leashes out lashes out of me. It just it wants to come out fast And I don't understand why those things are the way they are sometimes we don't know what builds up to that But here's what I know that when those things arise That's because the enemy is having his way and we are leaning into our sinfulness Instead of leaning into the faith that God has given us in Jesus and His shield is enough Other things that might be his darts are these strategies and deceptions that he means to inflame us. We all have these lusts within our heart that are easy to ignite. One commentator calls them hot shafts of sensuality, foul arrows of degrading passions, smoking arrows of materialism. And these flaming darts cannot just penetrate, but they can sear us and burn us and cause deep wounds. That's why we have to stand behind that faith all the time. That means you can't just walk in it. You have to purposely in the morning get up and and lean into the Lord and raise up the shield of faith and hold up the shield that says, I am the Lord's. He has me. Lord, I will fail today. You will succeed. Help me, Lord. The life of a Christian is not one of pride. It's one of humility and brokenness in our faults, but in our confidence in the gospel of Jesus. I'm gonna read a little bit more at this time. I know this could get boring because it's gonna be a lot of stuff I'm gonna read here. Just one big thick bit of it. Another Arkent Hughes passage that I was gonna to try to sum up But he just says it so well and gives so much, such colorful language I think it's worth listening to so let it wash over you. Uh, you can get these notes later. Don't try to keep up There's too much to write down He says then there are these fiery trials awaiting all of us in this life illness tragedies maybe even persecution Along with this, Satan's emissaries will launch arrows of doubt about God's goodness, the truth of the gospel, even his existence. But the shield of faith cools them again as we believe God's word. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. From this we understand by faith that even the apparent tragedies we suffer will eventuate in our welfare. By faith we see the unseen." Some of the most lethal arrows come from within our own camp. Unseen hands grasp the hands of our brothers and sisters, take their bows, dip them in tar, and with evil synergism send them flaming toward our hearts. Arrows of rejection and criticism and hypocrisy. But the shield of faith goes up again. The word of god has not left us ignorant of the human condition But rather informs us about those who quote sharpen their tongues like swords and aim their words like deadly arrows They shoot from ambush at the innocent man. They shoot at him suddenly without fear as the psalmist says in psalm 64 Some of the arrows strike us and they hurt but the incendiary pain can be snuffed by the shield of faith Through belief in god's word we forgive as Romans 12:21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He goes on, there are also delectable arrows which bring pleasurable fire to the furnace of our hearts, shafts of pride and vanity and false self-love. This age of narcissism encourages us to open ourselves to these deadly arrows, but we trust God's word. James 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Or Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, it is no exaggeration exaggeration to say that during earthly life, multiple thousands of deadly blazing arrows are launched at the Christian warrior by demons and by demon-oppressed culture. But the answer is faith. The Apostle John wrote, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Why because faith binds us in vital deep union with God faith is not just belief It is belief plus trust it is resting in the person of God and in his word to us We cannot withstand heavy attacks Against us alone, but we can stand behind the shield of faith that God has prepared for us and given to us when he gave us Jesus Because he's already secured the victory over the enemy note this too that the Roman shield we're talking about this big giant shield I mean about three to four feet wide and you're talking about four to six feet tall These shields weren't just meant to be used alone. They were also meant to be used together the soldiers if you've seen in many movies would lock their shields together So that they could help one another when they were being attacked or when they were attacking even on the offense And even as they got closer to a citadel, they would not only be locked together in the front They would raise up their shields over them to protect them from other things coming down from above This is because we also too as the church must recognize that we Together will withstand the attacks of the enemy This letter to the church at Ephesus is about unity so much that we cannot ignore that this faith and believing must be done in community together. And that doesn't just mean gathering together in this room. It doesn't just mean calling ourselves members of 12th Street Baptist Church. It doesn't just mean gathering up together for fellowships. It means doing life together. If you are participating only in this room or only in a different room, but not in the body of Christ, then you are missing the point and you are outside of the ranks and you are open to more damage from the enemy because you do not have others to walk with you. Even the way we damage ourselves in our own temptation, we need one another. God created us for community with him and others. So when the fiery darts of the enemy come flying at us, let us stand firm behind the shield of faith in Jesus, trusting in the Lord God Almighty, who's already defeated the enemy for us. This is the way of walking with Jesus. This is what it means to don the armor of God. He goes on, though. He gets to the part that, as a kid, we all loved the most, probably. Besides the sword, we loved the helmet. Anybody else love the helmet? Here's, here's what I know one commentator said I can't remember which one it could have been our Kent Hughes even He just said some illustration about kids that put on helmets, you know I, I remember that uh, when I was in high school I went out to play football one year and uh, I went to spring training for it And I remember uh, putting on some pads and putting on a helmet and I felt like I was ten foot tall and bulletproof, you know Like I, I knew I could run headlong. I, I, I had confidence I had what well, I felt like more power than I ever had cause I knew if I hit somebody hard, I was probably going to get up still compared to not wearing a helmet, you know? I remember, though, the first time I hit that brick wall named Gary McVicker in practice. If you don't remember back in my day, he was actually photographed as holding up another player on our team uh, like this, you know, in full pads. I hit that brick wall, and it hurt really bad, but I did get up eventually. I don't think I went back the next day for practice, though. I know I didn't go back the next week or ever again. I'm not sure if it was that day or the day after. It was enough. But putting on a helmet instills confidence in you. That's part of what it's for. And the helmet that you see the Romans wear would have been a bronze, probably, helmet that would have come down over the brow, gone down over the neck. It would have had cheeks that were covered up and had a strap to hold them together and a piece that came down over the bridge of the nose to protect. And pretty much the only way to get through that was with an axe or with a heavy sword. And so you could have glancing blows and survive with the head. and instilled great confidence. And here's what we should know, that although Satan cannot kill the soul, he can and often does wound the mind because we allow him to, because we have not put on the helmet of salvation every morning. You know, the army, the soldiers wouldn't have put the helmet on until the battle's about to start because it's heavy and it's big and it's cumbersome. Our helmet is not cumbersome. Our helmet is light. Because Jesus has already bore the weight of it on the cross. And our salvation is light to wear. But we must put it on every morning, remembering what Jesus has done for us. Preaching to ourselves the gospel and letting it cover our head to give us the confidence that we can have already provided for us in the gospel. Listen to First Thessalonians 5, 8 and on. When's the last time, church, that you were in a part of some group of guys or ladies or co-eds where you were encouraging one another to don the helmet of salvation? Trust in the Lord. Yes, this is bleak. This hurts. This is not fun. Battle is difficult and ongoing. Trust in the salvation of Jesus. He's already won the victory. He's already won the battle, and He has not forgotten you. He is with you even now, residing with you. No matter our circumstances, we can rest assured that our status in Christ will not waver. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved at his return. We have nothing to fear so we can fight with confidence. It's not just about standing firm and hoping we don't get pushed over. It's fighting back and getting into battle because our salvation has secured us. And it's time we pick it up and move back into the battle, not being on the fray, on the side. Psalm 147, O oh Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Thank you, Lord. So fear not, put on the helmet of salvation in full confidence that we will win the battle because Jesus has already won the war and the enemy has been defeated. He just is acting like he doesn't know it yet. Philippians one twenty seven and 28. A reminder, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Let me ask a question. Do you feel worn out and exhausted from the battle? Do you find yourself now fearful, maybe without hope? Lacking in confidence? I often do. So let us grab the helmet of salvation and pull it down over our head and strap it to our chins. And let us step back into the battle. Because his glory is worth it. The souls that need saving are worth it. Because our brothers and sisters beside us are worth it. And if we begin to fail in the ranks, the enemy will have a heyday with us. Although he'll still be defeated. No matter what temptations come, no matter what difficulties or persecutions, no matter what pains or sufferings might befall us, we will be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. He endured all the suffering so that we only have to endure a little right now. He endured all the death And the wrath so that we have to endure none of it We close our eyes and breathe out what seems to be our last only to take in breath in his presence and glory as we worship and rejoice Like many of our loved ones have gone on before us to do Ahead of time Look, there's not much within me to be confident of There's probably not a whole lot within you if we're honest with ourselves But we have much in jesus to be confident in Amen We might look across the field of battle and see an army that is huge and terrifying, an enemy who is great and mighty, seemingly impossible to overcome. But Jesus stood in our place already and stood toe-to-toe with the enemy on our behalf. With one massive blow, he forever defeated him. And now he has secured our victory on the cross. So we have nothing to fear, brothers and sisters. Nothing. Nothing. We do have to make sure that what we're pushing toward individually and corporately is what the Lord wants because going off on our own way is not being in the battle. Securely standing behind the shield of faith, walking arm in arm with our shields before us as we don the salvation that he has given us. There's nothing that the enemy can do. In Christ, we have already seen the accomplishment of all that needs to be done. So let's rise up and place our confidence in him and together move down the field of battle for the sake of the lost in this community that do not yet know him. The sake of the joy of the Lord and our joy as well. Don't put our confidence in our talents or our abilities or in our logic. No, those things are good and gifts from the Lord, but put our confidence in the hope and the sure salvation of Jesus. Look at it again, verse 16 and 17. 17. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is a fun one here. Okay, you ready for the good offensive work here we're about to do? Yes? Offensive work? I I don't know. I said the helmet was one of my favorites, but really the ultimate favorite is always the sword, right? We were just in Sam's Club the other day looking at... Costumes for our trunk-or-treat for our kids and uh, one of the costumes was a ninja and it looked kind of like this like uh, 1980s ladies blazer, you know that had the the, uh, Shoulder pads, you know that went way out here like way out here But all the kids liked it and wanted it. You know why? Because they had a sword You know because they had a sword because swords are cool, right? And this sword is the coolest of all swords. And it should be exciting and not weird to want this sword and to wield this sword. This Roman sword, the word used here for it is the machaira. Now, this wasn't the long sword, the big long swords that you see in some of the things we watch, okay, on TV, some of the old movies. This was a shorter sword, about two feet long, and it was double-edged all the way down, both sides. It was used for thrusting for stabbing and for slashing in close hand-to-hand combat. Not the stuff you reach out and touch somebody way out here. It's something up close and personal. Something very, very scary. If wielded by the right person, very dangerous. In fact, if wielded by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing and they get you off the right moment, it's very dangerous, right? It's just a very scary piece of equipment. And the sword of the Spirit, as it's called, which is the Word of God, the Roman word here, referred to here, that machaira, It's a sword that's not just for self-defense, although it's used for that to get things off of you and people off of you. It's also used to go on the offensive. And the word of God here, you would think it'd be the word logos that we've heard before, right? It's not that word. It's rhema. It's rhema. It's a little different. Now, it's often used interchangeably, but it has a specific nuance to it. And we see it even right here. This word rhema tends to emphasize the word as spoken or proclaimed. And not just the word as in the logic or truth of Jesus, like the understanding of the word of God, like the sense of logos, but rhema means the spoken word of God. It's a little different. Look at it again. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The spoken, utilized, proclaimed Word of God. So Paul seems to be stressing the idea that the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is actually the proclaimed or spoken gospel of Jesus. Because often when Paul talks about it, that word, word of God, is a phrasing used to refer to the gospel of Jesus as well. So this gets really cool at this point. The sword of the gospel is to be used to protect ourselves from the onslaught of the enemy, just as Jesus did in the wilderness, right? Remember that in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus goes up in the wilderness and uh, verse 3 It says the tempter came and said to him if you are the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread What did Jesus do? He didn't just like thump him away, which he could have done But instead he answered him saying it is written man shall not live by bread alone But by every word that comes from the mouth of God Interesting the one who created the universe through him was everything made. By him was everything made. For him was everything made. He didn't just slap Satan away. He spoke the word of God to him. That was his way of dealing with the enemy. And it happened two more times. And at the end, he told Satan to depart from him as he quoted scripture. When he said, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The devil left him. Now we have to think that if even Jesus used the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, against the attacks of the enemy, how much more must we who are frail and weak take up the Word of God when the enemy comes at us? Have you thought about that? I've had people oftentimes, they'll say things. I had one on on Saturday. I think it was Saturday, we went to go take some bicycles to get them serviced because I am not the mechanical type that likes to do all things mechanical. And as we're dropping them off, there's a guy that came up to us and started talking about scripture. I'm like, this is great. And then he started to go off into how we are to go at Satan and we're how to tell Satan this and that. And we have power over him because we've got power because, you know, Jesus has given us power. And at that point, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I had to stop and say, hold up. Your understanding of the gospel is a little bit different than mine. I don't have power in myself that God's given me separately from Jesus. Jesus is my power. I stand behind my Savior. And so, yes, I will speak truth, but not because it's my power, but because it's his power. It's the sword of the Spirit, not the sword of Thomas, right? It's the sword of the Spirit. And if Jesus, when tempted, if Jesus, when hit head on by the enemy, speaks the word of God, then that is our notice that this is how we deal with it as well, that we speak the word of truth. And there's some problems with this if we're not careful, if we're honest with ourselves, because to speak the word of truth, you kind of have to know the word of truth. Amen? A little bit? To speak the word of truth, you have to have it in your mind, in your heart even more so so that when the enemy tempts you or when you have temptation that comes your way, when you have depression or fears or doubts come at you, the Holy Spirit can then push those things back into your head and out your mouth to yourself even so that at that point you are wielding the sword of the Spirit under the power of the Spirit because of the power of Christ in you. And that's how it has to be. And so there's some things that we have to know in order to do this. The first thing is you've got to read Scripture. I don't want to give you all the stats, but let me just say it. Suffice it to say, if you go and look up Barna and read some of their uh, research or Pew Research, read some of the research, the average Christian doesn't read the Bible very often. We've laid the sword down and we've given up. brothers and sisters, for our families, for our faith family, for our parents, for our grandkids. Let them see us sharpening the sword daily. Let them see us living with a sword on our hip and in front of us and let us be seen examining it, memorizing every way it turns and moves reading the scriptures if you read five pages a day of scripture you read the whole bible in a year let, let us meditate on the words we read just think on it as we go god sh- show me what it means that you say sword what does that mean for me as i read this passage Spend the day lord does it mean this maybe it means that show me lord what do you mean by sword what do you mean by of the spirit Just, Lord, I'm going to steep in this for a little while and think on it as I drive down the road instead of listening to X, Y, Z. How about not just meditating, memorizing the word. One of the famous missionaries that I have read a lot about in China, it was often known that as he would go into the deep part of China and take family or friends and would set up camp when the evening came, he'd get everybody settled and then it would be, Noticed by all that were still awake, a strike of a match and a candle lit, and he would spend his favorite time in the Word from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. because nobody would disturb him in those hours. Memorizing, learning. A man who had read the Bible 14 times by the age he was 14. Now, look, I'm not trying to guilt us here. What I'm saying is that if we love the Lord. The Lord wants us to know him so we can love him rightly. Staring into the word, I need to repent. I've not done it enough as I should. All of us have room for repentance here. But the truth is, if we want to be in the battle and we want to be focused that we are at war continually, it's time to be in the word, memorizing, studying, going deep in the word and then speaking the word of grace, not just to self, but outwardly to others. And this sword of the spirit, which liberated us from the power of the enemy, also has the power to free those who are even still held captive if we proclaim to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's good for our being built up and it's good for getting to the heart of the matter with others. You want to learn apologetics? Great. First, learn scripture. And let that be the way that we speak apologetically to others about faith. And before you can do that, don't just put it in here. It must seep down into the heart so that it is done with grace and mercy. Because we must be reminded that we are at war, yes, with Satan and his demons, but not the people who are used by him. We are not at war with those who are held captive by him or used by him, even Christians who sometimes are used by the enemy. Max Turner New Bible commentary on Ephesians. He says, here then, the church is given a weapon, not merely of defense, but one to strike back against the powers that attack. To strike back with truth when we are personally tempted to evil. To strike back with truth when the church is attacked by false teaching. To strike back with truth when the powers seek to pervade the world around us with alien philosophies and Ethical teachings and finally to strike vigorous blows for freedom with the fearless proclamation of christian truth Such as paul encourages us here But one thing above all must be remembered about this weapon of offense The word of wrath in isaiah eleven four has become the gospel of peace Thank you lord And uniting love in christ is the way this gospel works we are fighting the spiritual powers not human enemies. Our use of the sword of the Spirit has to reflect this or else it became it becomes a weapon of darkness and division instead That means our hearts have to be right as we lean into The shield of faith as we don the salvation we've been given as we strike blows through the ranks of the enemy to save those who have yet to be liberated from captivity So let us speak the words of the gospel in that way. And let us remember that every single morning, we're going to talk about one more piece next week, but every single morning, multiple times a day for many of us, we must therefore take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth putting on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for our feet Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God This is our mandate brothers and sisters So let us stand firm and fight Fight for the glory of God. Fight for our joy in Jesus. Fight for our brothers and sisters in Christ beside us. And fight for the salvation of the lost and have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the salvation of Jesus as we keep our faith in him. And there are some that might be here today that don't have that helmet of salvation. Today is the day of repentance for us all. If it's your first time ever of repenting, let it be that you put your hope and faith in Jesus and not leave this place without putting on the helmet of salvation given by Christ. I'm going to pray for you and the rest of us, and then we'll sing, and we'll talk about a handout before you go. Father, you are good. You are right. You're kind and merciful. We need you, Lord. We need you because we don't have enough in ourselves You've already given everything we need in Jesus. And by your spirit, we can walk with you, stand behind the shield of faith that you've given. We can rest in the confidence of your salvation that doesn't depend on us, but depends on the finished work of Jesus on the cross in our place. So Lord, thank you, thank you for Jesus. And help us, Lord, to get in the fight, to proclaim the gospel to ourselves and others daily that we might be a part of seeing this place made glorious for your worth and your fame. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.